Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. The topic this morning is, do you believe in magic? Discovering the world of the supernatural and exploring the restrictions of Kishuf and trying to discover what exactly Kishuf is or is not. Okay, the reason why this is a very interesting topic is because there's background music. Can we get rid of the background music on the shirts or is that kind of going to be here with us the whole time? <laughs> but it's also interesting because whenever you have a, a, a fundamental machlokas rishonim, a debate between, in this case, the Rambam and the Ramban, and it's probably based on a broader world view. That, that's always fascinating. And when you have a machlokas and how to read, how to read a story, how to interpret a story, and that has pretty clear, direct ramification in a halacha lemaisa realm in our practical living. That's also very interesting. And here we have really all of these things together. We have a fundamental machlokas that seems to be based on a whole different view of how the world works. And we also find the Machlokas and how to read different stories in Tanakh. And based on that reading, we'll find a major difference when it comes to Halakha Lamaisa. Let's start off here going through some of the psukim we read in this past week's Parsha, a story we're all familiar with. That Hashem speaks to Moshe of Aaron and he tells them that. When, uh, when Paro speaks to you, saying, show me a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it down before Paro, and that stick shall turn into a sanin, into a serpent. So Moshe and Aaron came before Paro, and did just as Hashem had said. Aaron cast down his stick in the presence of Paro and his servants, and it turned into a snake. So Paro called to his wise men and to his magicians, And they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same thing with their, with their spells. So it sounds like they did the same trick that, that Moshe and Aaron did. They were able to turn their sticks into snakes. Belatehen through their magic. I have to see what that means. Vyashlihu ish matehu vayu lesaninim vayivla mata aron as matosim. However, the mata, the the staff of Aaron, swallowed up their staffs. Before we go any further, just to remember, this year is sponsored by the Wasser Mishpacha um, in honor of the yard site of. Reza, Shaul, Ben Raul. His neshama should have an aliyah through our learning this morning. So comes along the Ramban and he seems to tell us the, the simple understanding of these verses. Because the big question here is, were the magicians really doing magic? Or were they just sleight of hand, playing games? Says the Ramban, Belatehen, what does that mean? They were using their spells? It was the real deal. It was Maisa Kishuf. It was black magic. And they were somehow doing this through 
destructive angels. He goes on to say that the word lahat, which is the shorish for balatehem, is similar to the word that we find by fire. And he says perhaps they were angels of fire, malachi eish. And then he says perhaps yikru kena malachim hashochnim ba'avir. Maybe these malachim are the ones that are living in the atmosphere that are, are not visible, but somehow they're all around us. And um, they're shadim. Maybe they're shadim. So there may be lots of different things, but they're all supernatural suggestions. It sounds like, according to the Ramban, that somehow the Khartoumi Mitzrayim were, were tapping into different spiritual forces to create this, this phenomenon. So according to the Ramban, it's clear they were doing real kishrit, it was real black magic. Parenthetically, I always wondered that the Ramban mentions this idea a few places in his Perish and Chumash about malachim that are so small, they're, they're microscopic, and they're in the atmosphere. Could he be referring to something that, that we know about? Some kind of molecules or bacteria or something that the Khartoum and Mitzrayim were able to, to use or, or manipulate. I'm not sure. But that's the approach of the Ramban. Comes along the Ibn Ezra, and he says that when the, the Pasuk tells us that the Khartoum and Mitzrayim did the same thing, Belatehem, with their magic, there was no magic whatsoever. Moshe did something real. Based on the, the, the miracle of Hashem, he took a rod and he turned it into a, a snake. However, the Khartoum Mitzrayim, it was only through Achizas Enayim, through sleight of hand. They were, they were master magicians and they were able to, uh, to make it look like they turned a stake, a, uh, a staff into a snake, but it didn't really happen. That's the Ibn Ezra. The Malbim seems to say a similar thing. Source number four, he says, Berehebdel ben Maisa Arun Masehem, the distinction between what Aaron did and what the Khartoum and Mitzrayim did, Shehem lo osu saninim bepal, rak osu balatehem. They didn't actually turn this object into a living being. Rather, Ratzalomer batachbulos achizas enayim, they made it look like they transformed the stick into a snake. Sheosa bemehirus, they did very quickly. Tricking the, the people who were looking. So that's the machlokes we have here, the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra and the Malbim, as to what happened in Mitzrayim. Now we fast forward later on in history. We haven't yet got here in the Navishir, but we have the famous story of the necromancer, where Shaul knows that his end might be coming soon. So first he tries to, to get advice or information from Hashem. Source number five, the Pesach tells us, V'yishal shal ba'ashem v'lo ano Hashem gam b'chalomos, gam b'urim, gam b'nevi'im. Shal tried so many different ways of getting some kind of, of guidance from a Kodesh Baruch Hu, and Hashem did not answer. Hashem did not respond. V'yomer shal l'avadav bakshuli eishes balas ov. So he says something very strange. He turns to his servants and says, find me a lady who's a balas ov, who specializes in the, the practice of oviadoni, which is a form of paganism. 
And the basic practice was, you had these people who were able, or at least they claimed, to be able to communicate with the dead. So he wanted to somehow speak to Shmuel, Shmuel who was no longer alive, and at least get advice from Shmuel. If I can't speak to Hashem, I'll go to the second best. A few psukim later, as they're sitting there in this room, and she has her lava lamp and crystal ball and everything else, V'teira ha'isha es Shmuel, she sees Shmuel, V'titak v'kol gadol, and she cries out, she screams in a loud voice, V'tomer ha'isha el Shol lemor, and then she turns to Shol, who's sitting there, and she says, Lama remisoni, why did you trick me? V'ata Shol, you're Shol ha'melech. He came in disguised, so she didn't realize that he was the king. But then it sounds like she, through her, her practice of ov, she sees Shmuel, she screams, and then now suddenly she knows, hey, you're really the king. Why did you fool me? So it sounds like from the basic storyline that there are people in this world who are able to communicate the, the, with the dead, or even bring them down to this world and have them communicate to us. That's what it sounds like from the story. Comes along the Radak, and the Radak says that I've seen a machlokus bein hagaonim. The gaonim were the, the great Torah authorities in the, the nine and ten hundreds regarding this matter. They all agree to one thing that the practice of Ov is foolishness. It's lies, it's not true. There's no way you could bring back the dead into this world. Some of the Gaonim say that Shmuel never spoke to Shol. To assume that this lady who was involved with the practice of Ovedoni, she's going to bring up Shmuel from his kever and disturb his, his, his rest. So what actually happened? She was really good. She performed in Vegas. She had different shows across the country. And she was able to, to make it appear as if Shmuel was communicating to Shaul. This is the approach of Rav Shmuel ben Chofni Hago. Then the Radak quotes. Well, so th- that's a good question, that if it really was just her, how did she know what was actually going to happen in the future? So you could argue, maybe she had an intuition, she had a premonition of what's going to happen. We know people have that kind of power, but the practice of Ov, of bringing Shmuel back into this world, Rav Shmuel ben Chafni felt, Sheker v'chazav, it's lies. And then he says, Even though you go throughout Shas, there are many places in the Gemara, that seem to say there's truth to these practices. <laughs> and from the Gemara, it sounds like she really did bring Shmuel back to life on some level. <laughs> Gentlemen, buckle your seatbelts. This is a line that you have to be very careful with. Uh, do not apply this at home. But Shmuel Berchafni said, even though the Gemara seems to be learning the Pashib Shat in this story that Shmuel was really brought down to earth, we cannot accept the words of the Gemara when they contradict the Seichel. Very dangerous. So what does that mean? He's not saying that, and clearly therefore the Gemara is wrong, 
and the Amaraim were mistaken, but he means we can't learn it at face value. When the Gemara speaks about bringing Shmuel back into the world, it doesn't really mean it happened. What did they mean? That requires analysis. But you can't take something at face value, even in the Gemara, if it goes against the Seichel. That was with Shmuel ben Chafni. Then the Radak goes on the quote of Sadia and Rav Hai Gon, two of the, the most well-known Gonim. And they said, Emes hu ki ki isha sidus. Their argument with Rishmul ben Chafni was, if she was doing it all herself, it's very hard to believe that she knew the future. There had to be something going on here more than that. But it's also very hard to say that she was able to bring back Shmuel through the wisdom of Ov. So what actually happened? Explain Rav Sadir of Haigam. It wasn't her. It was Hashem. Hashem brought Shmuel into this world. In order to inform Shol what would happen. And this lady who wasn't, wasn't aware of this and she never actually brought someone back into the world, that's why she screamed. So to understand structurally, according to Shmuel ben Chafni and according to Rav Hai and Rav Sad Yagon, at least we understand why she was so surprised. Because she's been doing this for 35 years, but she never actually did it. And now she sees someone coming into the room, so of course she's, she's scared. I'm sorry, I misspoke. According to Shmuel ben Chafni, right, we don't understand why she screamed. Nothing actually happened. According to Rav Hai and Rav Sad Yagon, that it makes sense why she was surprised, because the whole practice is, is, is Shekhar v'chazav, it's not true. And here Hashem came through and actually brought Shmuel down. Now, the, the question on, on this approach of Rav Hai and Rav Sad Yagon is, if it was really just Hashem's doing, so why would he disturb Shmuel to inform Shaul what's going to happen in the future? Just, just communicate with him. He's, he's calling out to you. He's davening. He's going to Naveem. He's trying all different, you know, normal methods of communication. Just answer him. Why would you use her through something that looks like oath? But those are, those are two interpretations we find in the Gaonim. They're both saying that it didn't really happen. And even if it did happen, it wasn't through the force of Oviadoni. The Malbim comes along, though, and remember, the Malbim was the one who agreed with the Ibn Ezra, who said what took place back in Mitzrayim was not real black magic. The Khartoum and Mitzrayim were just doing sleight of hand. Yet the Malbim comes along here and he says, I don't get the whole conversation. Can we close the door by the chance? Can we get a better door? If they're not careful, we use our magic on them, you know? <laughs> no, just teach your voice. <laughs> teach your voice. So comes along the Malbim, and the Malbim says, I don't understand this whole discussion, and he quotes from Shmuel ben Chafni, and he quotes the Relbag, who seems to be in the same camp, he quotes of Hai and Rav and then he quotes two other opinions as well. He quotes the Mari, the Mari says that it wasn't really her that was bringing back Shmuel, but rather it was a shade, Hislabesh Begufo Shel Shmuel. It was a shade, which is usually translated as a demon, that clothed itself in the, 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 the image of Shmuel. But it wasn't Shmuel. 
Now, what are you gaining by saying that? It sounds like, like the main issue here that the Shodom are grappling with is not so much how did she have the ability to bring Shmuel into this world, but it's a more philosophical question. How does that make sense? How does it make sense that she should disturb Shmuel HaTzadik and bring him into this world? That's their main problem. So the Marias tried to address the problem by saying it was a shade that was looking like Shmuel. And then he quotes the Akedas Yitzchak for another interpretation where he says that she started her thing and then Shmuel got up himself. He came on his own volition, but it wasn't her forcing him to come. So many different interpretations. Comes along the Malbim and says, Why do we need all of these forced interpretations? The Malbim says, if you look in the Gemara, it's clear that these practices were, were prevalent during the times of the Mishnah and the Talmud, and it seems from the simple interpretation of the Talmud that they were real. People had this Chachman, they were able somehow to, to manipulate their surroundings and, and change Teva. And it's clear from the Gemara that people had the, the Chachma to bring up Neshamos from the Kever. So I don't like any of these Dechukim, they're all forced interpretations. I don't need a crowbar to get my understanding into the Pesukim. I learned it simple. It actually happened. How about the question everyone else is bothered with? Namely, how can she, through her practice of Oviadoni, disturb Shmuel? So the Malbim says, based on a Kabbalistic idea, <coughs> that we know there are two aspects of the Neshama. The, the Iker Neshama, as soon as the, the body is laid to rest, the Iker Neshama, after the Kavura, after the burial, is no longer here. That's in a different world in Olam HaNeshamos, and Shmuel's neshama, we could assume, was, was connecting with the Boreolam, getting that, that infinite pleasure of the Vekus. She didn't bring that neshama down, chas v'shalom. However, we have makoros that tell us that for the first 12 months after someone passes away, there's a different aspect of the neshama, some, a more, like a lower level part of the neshama, whatever that means, that's still lingering closer to this world, and it was that aspect of the Nisham of Shmuel she was able to, to tap into. That's what the Malbim says. Would that probably explain why they turned to Shmuel? He's looking to get a big Nabi Why not call Moshe Rabbeinu? Why not call Moshe Rabbeinu? Why go to Shmuel? It's, it's a good question. It could be like Shmuel was his Rebbe. You know, he turned, he wanted to, to get in touch with his... his, his uh, his teacher, his mentor. I just want to ask the question. Um, I remember that the Malbim on by Yaakov Avinu when he's Mifter, so he talks about why Yosef, you know, Barbara or whatever, because it's a tar for the, you know, the goof when it's not disintegrated. Sovereign Nefesh, the goof's not disintegrated. So he said because Yaakov was the tzaddik, so he didn't need that 12 month period. His Nefesh was free to go immediately because he was a big tzaddik. So it sounds like a contradiction in the Malbim. Good question. We'll note that one. I don't have an answer offhand. I assume so. I assume so. Why? You know, all this argument and all this trying to 
forced interpretation of Duranco, it seems to me that if we go back to the Chumash itself, why does the Torah need to command us, don't engage in these practices, if they're bullamized? Oh, so that's the next step. That's the next step. And like we mentioned before, the reason why this is such an interesting discussion is because here we have a, a machlokus we showed him how to understand a couple of stories, but we'll see how that plays out in Halacha Lamaisa, which is source number eight. The psukim we find in the Devarim Perak Yudches, where the Torah tells you, you're not allowed to do magic. When you come to the land that Hashem will give you, lo silmed lasos kisilovos hagoy mahem. Don't emulate the disgusting ways of the nations that live there. And then it goes on to list all these different types of black magic that we're not allowed to get involved with. And then the Rambam goes through each one, defining exactly what it means. We're not going to have time for that now. But we have a whole list of, of practices of the Goyim living in Eretz Yisrael. And the Torah is saying, don't do those things. Anyone who does it, it's an abomination. And it's because of these disgusting things that Hashem is pushing these nations out and allowing you to enter. Rather, what's our mantra? We don't, we don't go to Ovidoni. We don't try to communicate with the dead. We don't try to figure out the future. That's one of these serum here, going to people who are going to tell you your future. Rather, we have to be with purity of heart. We have Bitachron Hashem. Comes along the Ramban. Now, according to the Ramban, who said that the Khartoum and Mitzrayim were doing real black magic, so such a thing does exist, these psukim make a lot of sense. That the Torah is telling you, don't do black magic. And he explains the second paragraph. When Hashem created the universe from nothing, the, the structure Hashem created was that you have Elyonim, higher beings, being in charge or somehow directing lower beings. And Hashem gave some level of power to the stars and the celestial beings to have an influence here in this world. And on top of these celestial bodies, Hashem created malachim and, and leaders over the kochavim. So there's a whole elaborate system putting aside the different levels of malachim themselves. But according to the Ramban, you have the nefesh, the spiritual force behind all the, the stars and, and different things out there in space. Then you have the stars themselves, which seem to be influencing what happens here. The question is, that sounds like a Vodazaro. It kind of sounds like paganism, to say there are many different forces out there. It doesn't sound like Judaism. Yeah, but like we have software forces, so like, just because something else is a sentient being doesn't make it you know, outside the shop's Oh, so I think that's the key <laughs> factor. That th- this whole idea of astronomy which is very different than what you'll read in a horoscope. But, but at least the belief that there is some influence from the stars, and, and that comes from a higher power of the, the, the Sar, or Malach, that's all through the direct hashpa and guidance of Hashem. Paganism is we believe that those powers are independent. That's a Vodazoro. And the, the Rambam in his famous piece in the beginning of Hilchus of Vodazoro, he has a whole 
whole essay describing the, the historical evolution of how people began bowing down to idols. But, but it, comes from, it comes from potentially this notion that there is power out there. And if you don't understand how it works, that could lead you to paganism. But within the Torah perspective, it's all Hashem. This is just how Hashem chose to infuse the world with His light through these different prisms and, and filters. Okay. However, he says that people can acquire a chachma to be able to, to play games with the system. He says, V'alkein roi shetosero sam ha-Torah olam leminhago. That's why the Torah has to tell us it's usher to manipulate the system. You have to leave things alone. Leave the Malminhago v'tivu ha-Pashut chafetz boro. That's the, the desire of Hashem. And he throws in something interesting here. This also explains the Isser behind Kalayim, mixing together different species. You're changing things around. The Isser of Kalayim and the Isser of Kishuf fall into the same category, according to the Ramban, which is don't mess with things. Hashem created the world in a particular way, leave it alone. Now that's also difficult to understand because we do believe in technology and we do believe in medicine and we're constantly manipulating nature to form something else that wasn't there before and we're doing so as a mitzvah. But this is the basic approach of the Ramban which fits beautifully in his overall worldview. Black magic is real and therefore the Torah has to tell us in Pasha Shoftim, don't do it. Comes along the Ramban. Now, there are three different sources here. We're going to just a couple of lines of each. This is the Rambam in the Mishnah Torah, and this is, this is classic Maimonides. Devarim Elu, after listing and explaining all of those, those prohibitions of black magic, Rambam says, all of these things, Divrei Sheker V'chazavhein, they're all lies. Veheim shehitu behem ovdei kochavim hakarmonim, they were tricks played by the ancient non-Jewish world, Lagoya Ratzos, to the, the Hamonam, to the lay people, Kedei Shinhogu Acharehen, order to lead them, to get power. It's all about power. Nothing's real. He says, Kol Hamamin B'Devar Ma'elu, anyone who believes in these things, the Kiyotze Behen, or anything similar, and you think there's truth or there's wisdom to this form of kishuf. However, the Torah says don't do it. It's real, but the Torah says I'm putting on a restriction. If you think that, you're silly and you're lacking das. So he's, he's including the Ramban in that. This is what I want But those who are masters of wisdom and, and, and wholesome in their das, Yedu Barayos Buros, we know through empirical evidence, Shekol Elu Hadavarim Sha Asra Torah, all of these things the Torah says are Asr. 
Einam divrei chachma, they're not based on wisdom. Ela tohu vehevel shinimshachu behem chasri hadas venotshu kol drachaya emis biglolon. So the Ramam's very clear. Just like he told us, or just like he would tell us, by Khartoum Mitzrayim, they weren't doing anything real. It was sleight of hand. So like Richard's point was, why does the Torah have to tell you it's usr if it's not real? The Torah is telling you, don't be stupid. The Torah is telling you, don't believe in those practices that are based on nothing. There's no chachma, there's no emes there. And if you're led astray based on that, then nabuch, have rachmanas, Hashem should have rachmanas on you. It's like completely two different didactic tracks. That's why it's so fascinating. Right? Yes. Two very different views. So Ramban is including Ramban in that. Well, he was before the Ramban, so he wasn't yes. talking about the Ramban. No, no, said that, but it, but it sounds like, based on what he says here, if somebody you know, would have showed him <laughs> the words of the Ramban, he would have said, not Judaism. That's a pretty fundamental debate. <laughs> I wanted to do two more sources here in, in the Ramban. This is in the Parish Hamishnayis, the second line. I have to speak about this because I see there are so many people out there who are, who are becoming seduced by this whole shtus. And they think there's truth here to these kind of practices. And we even find great, holy, righteous people, Jewish people, who think it's true. And they just think the Torah says, don't do it. Then they don't realize that it's all Shekhar V'chazav, and the Torah is telling us, don't believe in that silly stuff. And the last point here, the Sefer HaMitzvos, also the Rambam, is one, one question is, in the world of the Rambam, why would the Torah say, don't do it? Why would it be such a severe iser? In the Rambam, it makes sense. You're manipulating forces. Hashem doesn't want that. Don't mess with things. According to the, the Rambam, okay, listen, the Torah doesn't want you to be silly, but like, you're going to tell me there's a real iser deraisa of, of being naive? Why, why is that so detrimental? I want to just read this word of the Rambam. He says... First of all, the example he gives of, of the Isser of practicing magic. Take a look at source number 12. An example of this is using your hands quickly. To fool people, and they're going to think you're doing something that's not really happening. Like we find all the time. Here's a couple of examples. They take a rope and they place it in the corner of their jacket. And they take out a snake. Or they throw a ring up into the sky. And they say, hey, it's in your mouth. Look at this. Right? These tricks go back a long time. All these different types of things that magicians do. All of that stuff is asr. One who does this is in violation of which literally means grabbing the eyes. Now the Gemara itself says this expression, 
But the machlokis here between the Rambam and the Ramban is the Isr of Ochez or Echizas Enayim, does that require some level of real black magic or is it all sleight of hand? And the Rambam is very clear. One, one last line here. He says, <laughs> This is what, it, what the Torah says, what it means when it says Kishuf, black magic. And this is an important line. This might have a bearing halacha You're stealing the mind of people, which means you're fooling people. That they think you're doing something real when it's not real. The, and, and that could lead to a potential heter when we discuss magicians halacha What's the big deal? Why would the Torah say it's usher to, to fool people in this way? The yafsid sichlam is what happens is that people believe in this shtus, so then they're, they're, they're going to be lacking seichel. The yeshivam lahamin hanimne, and they're going to now believe in things that really can't happen. The efshar sheyechatz Different, different Lashonos here. The Rambam seems to be saying that what's so severe about tricking somebody into believing something that's not real is you're creating such a dangerous mindset where people believe things that are, are unbelievable. And the Rambam's whole approach was you have to use your seichel. You have to live based on das. And when you do this kind of practice, you're destroying the most precious thing to the human being, which is the das. So we did not argue. We did not argue. We did not argue. We talking about real, like manipulating nature, like real Kishore. And the Ramah was talking about, you know, slide of hand, just magic as we know today. Very LA mentality. Maybe it's all good. <laughs> so the truth is, it just from the Lushan of the Rambam, he seems to be very much against the, the belief in, in manipulating forces. And it sounds like he's saying, believing in that in general is silly. And therefore the Torah would never even prohibit doing real magic, because there's no such thing as real magic. The Torah is only telling you, don't fool people into making them think that you're doing something magical. Have imagination. Okay. Yeah, so said, these discussions are always very tricky. You know, once we get into where they were living and what they were exposed to, and the Rambam doesn't seem to have been exposed to Kabbalah. There are stories about later on in life where he had different thoughts or he said different things. Nothing is substantiated that I know of. But, um, but for us to, to try to explain their opinions based on what areas of Torah they were exposed to, I think is a little bit dangerous. So we'll just take it at face value. This is what the people are saying. Now, now one last point here is that the Rambam goes further and he says all of these discussions about or not discussions, but the belief in shading, <coughs> in anything magical, in demons, and forces, it's not true. It's not true. That's what he says. Now comes along the Vilna Gaon, famous piece in his commentary on Yeridea. It's Sibin Kufai and Tess and Yeridea is the Simon and Shulchan Aruch that deals with the restrictions of, of black magic. So the Vilna Gaon quotes the Rambam, and uh, he says something shocking. He says, Kol, of a kol all who came after the Rambam, 
they all argued with him. Because we find many of these spells and, and practices in the Gemara. Meaning to say that we have many cases of this kind of magic in the Gemara and it sounds like it's real. And although Rav Shmuel ben Chafni told us that you can't take it at face value because it goes against the Seichel, that's not how the Ramban understood the Gemara and that's not how the Gura understood the Gemara. The Gemara says it happened. The Gemara says there is such a thing as Shadim. So why did the Rambam say there's no such thing? Here's a line that we would never say ourselves. V'hunimshach acharei ha-philosophy. He was, on some level, he was influenced by the philosophers. And that's why he said, all of that world is sheker. But all of the, the great authorities after the Rambam argued with him vehemently. And he says, the, 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 the philosophers try to take these Gemaras and, and say they're only metaphorical, it's only an analogy. But says the Gemarah, I, I don't believe in that philosophical approach and how to understand those Gemaras. All of the Gemaras should be taken at face value, that these things actually did exist. However, it's true, there's a whole inner world you have to understand to know those Gemaras. But here's a, here's a scathing line. Lo shel ha-philosophia. But it's not the inner world the philosophers are trying to create. Shehem chitzonius. Their inner world is really chitzonius. That's not Torah. Ele shel emis. But the balia emis, meaning those who are, who are well-versed in Kabbalah, they understand the inner world of Kishif referred to in the Gemara. So the Gros seems to be asking a pretty strong question of the Rambam, which is, how could you possibly say... This is not real. The Gemara says many, many places that it actually took place. It must be he was influenced by the philosophers. Now yet, the, the Rambam is the, 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 the source of all halacha. The Shulchan Aruch itself, almost everything the Mechaber writes is either paraphrasing or directly quoting the Rambam. So the Gra is not, not saying the Rambam wasn't reliable, chas v'shalom. But he was saying, in this one area, I think he was influenced by something outside of Torah. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky comes along and he says, maybe I could answer for the Rambam. Rabbi Yaakov held, and this is a, a principle we find in many places, that everything in creation is zu le'umas zu osilakim. Hashem has to have a yin-yang. There always has to be the, the equal level forces on each side of the equation. So he goes on to explain that in the time of Nevoah, when we had real prophecy, then we also had miracles. And we also had Kishif, when there was black magic in the world, then to counteract the black magic, we had to have more forces of, of good and Kedusha, hence we had miracles. He says, potentially, when the Rambam writes, there's no such thing as Shadim or reviving the dead, bringing them down here, the practice of Ove, or anything like that. He says, maybe... Maybe the Rambam held that during the times of the Gemara, the Amorayim had this ability, they were living on a whole different level, they could revive the dead, and they could even perform wonders. We have many Gemaras that speak about all sorts of amazing things Amorayim were able to do. 
So maybe only in those times we had shadim, demons, and black magic. However, perhaps nowadays, where we don't have that same force, the Koach of Kedusha, so then the Rambam is telling us nowadays we don't have those things anymore because it wouldn't be a fair balance. We don't have the Koach of Kedusha to counteract the, the force of Tumah. And then Yaakov says a story. I remember when I was in Kelm. Um, and I feel bad, this is not in your Marimakomos. But he says, when I was in Kelm, I saw that Rav Chaim, that, that the uh, Rav Chodon Wasserman wrote, quoting the Chafetz Chaim, that the famous Maisa Dibuk, what's the translation for Dibuk again? Dibuk. <laughs> huh? Like a deep that catches itself. Right. What? Isn't it a well, that was the name of a movie, I think. Oh. I wouldn't know that, but I think that was a, whatever. Some, whatever, some kind of shade going inside and taking over a human being, right? So there, there was a famous story that took place where the Chafetz Chaim was able to remove that shade from this person. And Rabbi Yaakov says that I saw in the writings of Rabbi Chonor Wasserman that that famous story that took place in those times, probably the, the later 1800s, he says, Minestam and that was probably the last time we'll ever find something like this happen where a deep book comes in. Why? Because as the Torah diminishes and as we, we, we really don't have the same level of Kedusha we had before, so we don't have the same force of Tumah. So it's very unlikely to find a Dibbuk again. So that's a potential answer to the Rambam. The only problem is, the Rambam doesn't seem to be saying that. The Rambam doesn't seem to be saying that I don't believe in Shadim or necromancers nowadays because we don't have the, the Koach of Kedusha to counteract that. It sounds like he's saying the whole thing is silly. Right? So, interesting question of the Vilna Gon, interesting approach of, of, of Yaakov, but it definitely needs more analysis. It's far from, far from simple. Let us jump for the last few minutes to Halacha Lemaisa. How does it come out now, going through this, the chain, According to the Ramban, is there a Torah violation of Kishuf when you're a magician? No, because Kishuf is black magic. When the Torah says you can't do black magic, it means you can't do the real thing. If you're doing a Chizah Sainayim, there for sure wouldn't be a Torah prohibition of, of Kishuf. According to the Ramban, though, the examples he gave of taking the rope and, and turning it into a snake, or taking the ring and bring it into someone's mouth, the Rambam would say that even a regular magic show could potentially be a violation, Minha Torah, of Kishuf. Could it be looking at like Yes, that also. The Chai Yodim says, this is source number 15, he says, Mizeh tira she'osam barchanim, she'osam kedavarim elu b'chasanos, that these gestures that go to the weddings and they do these types of magic shows, over in Belav de Raisa, they're in violation of a Torah prohibition. And those who are paying them to come and perform over a leaf naiver, they're in violation of leaf naiver. They're putting a stumbling block in front of this person. They're having him do something that's usher. And those who are standing around and watching and clapping and, 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 and giving him chizik, they're being misayli de Rivera. They're supporting someone who's doing something that's usher. Ravadi Yosef in the Yabiya Omer says, Halacha Lamaisa, we should be stringent like the Rambam. The Rambam said, even magic shows are a problem based on his worldview, based on his understanding of the prohibitions, and based on his understandings of the stories of Tanakh. 
And therefore, says Rabbavadya, no magic shows. So if you're Sephardi, there are no magic shows. Remotion at Shuva, we have to just go a little bit fast forward now. Remotion at Shuva is not as, as strong as Bavadia was. And he says, and, and perhaps we could be medagged this from the Rambam himself, the Rambam says, what's the main problem with, with Achiza Senayim? Is that you're fooling people. People are going to think that you're doing something real when you're not actually doing any black magic. So Moshe says that, this is uh, towards the end of the paragraph here, number 17, only when you're lying to people, the and you're telling them, I'm doing this through the powers of black magic, then it's usher, then it's usher to do. However, he says, perhaps, if you tell them that everything I'm doing here is totally natural, I spent years and years training to be able to fool you into giving me a lot of money to perform at your chasana, and, but everything I'm doing is natural, and he says, for sure, if the magician would show the crowd how he's doing a trick. Now, that will never happen, because that would lose your parnasa, but if you show them at least maybe one, one form of magic, so you're showing them that in general, things you're doing are based on sleight of hand, then Ramosha was more willing to be mekel. He himself says, this is all derech limud, I'm just saying this academically. And the last part of Ramosha says, However, if someone would actually come to me with the question, we want to pay a magician to come to our, our kid's bar mitzvah, so then I would try to avoid the question. I would try to say, ask somebody else. And if it wasn't possible for me to avoid the question, then I think I would say it's mutter, but they should just make sure that the audience knows it's not real magic. And that seems to be the halacha lemaisa, at least for Ashkenazim. I want to end with one last point here, we'll call it a day, from Rebelski. Rebelski has an interesting sefer, halachi responsa, from the desk of Rabbi Yisrael Belsky, and he speaks about magic shows. He quotes Ramosha briefly, but then he himself has his own little take on it. He says, many people nowadays would tell you that going to a magic show or performing magic should be no problem whatsoever because modern man is more rational and would never consider that a magic show is anything but sleight of hand. He says, this distinction is, a typical, is typical of a common attitude which seeks to make halachic <coughs> distinctions between the way things are now and the way they were when the poskim pronounced their rulings. However, this is classic Rebelski, in order for such an assessment to have value, one must have three things. A, be thoroughly knowledgeable of the situation that existed in the times of the earlier poskim, what was going on in the world during those times. B, have a full understanding of our current circumstances, what's going on nowadays. And C, be thoroughly knowledgeable in the elements of halacha that would allow distinctions to be made between different cases. Most often, people's opinions are based simply on vague assumptions as to the true nature of changing historical conditions. And he says, if you want to look back, historically speaking, in the times of the Chachmas Adam, in the 1800s, when he said the whole practice of Bad Chanem and is, is, is not a good thing and that should be outlawed, Europe was undergoing the intellectual revolution known as rationalism. 
Many of the great Gentile thinkers of that era worked to rid the world's consciousness of all spiritual forces, denying the existence of any mystical or non-rational phenomenon that cannot be empirically observed. In contrast, the last 40 years has witnessed an increasing openness to and acceptance of an increasingly bizarre array of mystical and spiritual philosophies. This quote-unquote new age has brought people in our times to embrace all types of mysticisms, both that which is rooted in the Holy Torah, people are much more into Kabbalah now than they were in the 1800s, and Lahabdil, that which is based on other alien and even idolatrous practices. It is reasonable to, to assume, concludes Rebelsky, contrary to what people may wish to believe, that in our current age the average person is quite willing to entertain the possibility that an impressive <laughs> magic trick is actually accomplished with sorcery or by the harnessing of some sort of supernatural power. So in conclusion, it's not simple, and the, the, the real makom to be mekel, the, uh, the main leniency is, if it's clear to the audience that there's no real magic happening here. Have a wonderful day. Wait, before you go, could you just touch on Harry Potter? Oh, Harry Potter, <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter, oh! Yeah, this is a very big deal. I just want you to know, in Israel, when I lived there, it was a very big debate. And more people are converting to Wicca, it's a recognized religion. You can do a wedding if you're a Wiccan. And Rabbi Moshe Tenler said it's absolutely a source. So before all your kids are reading Harry Potter, you might want to check into it. Because it's absolutely, you know, that's what you want. But it's uh, something kids are very into it. And it's leading them into the witchcraft is... Uh,